Thanks for coming. I want to send something around quickly. This is very precious to me. But uh, so you can smell it. Don't use it. <laughs> smell it. It's my favorite scent. And I only like really wear it on like super special occasions. But <coughs> you can smell it. It's really cool. So my wife and I, we really love scent, but we are also really cheap. <laughs> so this is, this is a problem. <laughs> uh, that one is it's, uh, Tom Ford Tuscan Leather, which is my favorite. But um, So we often, when we go into a mall, we'll hit the Red Square shop first, or the uh, you know, Edgar's or Stutterfords or whatever, and then spray everywhere, and then we'll go on our little date or something, and we both smell really great. <laughs> Uh, scent is it's super expensive. Uh, so perfume is an interesting thing. The word parfum means um, to smoke through. Fum means smoke and par means through. So to smoke through or through smoke. And uh, it's nice, eh? Do you think it's nice? I love it. It's so it's so good. Tom Ford is a he's a freaking freaking genius. Um, so. Perfume is a really uh, kind of uh, crazy thing. In scripture, can you just start your slide off, please? What's that? Jesus like not perfume. So in scripture, there's about, I think about 40 or more references to um, God that says God really likes pleasing aromas. He likes things that smell nice. So scent is like all over, it's actually all over scripture. So I think you didn't go out when I program me. Exodus 29. Oh, work. Sacrifice the other lamb at twilight with the same grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning. A pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord. So in this particular reference, it describes the smell of burnt lamb, or actually just barbecue. It's like nothing else than a braai. <laughs> so God likes the smell of scarp choppies. Which is actually kind of cool, and then um, yeah, in other texts it'll say that God, the the smell of the incense burning in the temple is a pleasing aroma, and there's many many references to like God liking things that smell nice. And what's interesting is whenever the uh, the idols are described, so this is in Psalm 115. There you go. Whenever the idols are described, you can read. Let's just read it. It says, "But the idols are silver and gold." made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, they have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. So it's a very scary text, but like often idols are described as one of the main things it says they can't even smell. Like God likes pleasing aromas, and idols can't smell which is fascinating to me. Um, perfume is an interesting thing. Perfume and women kind of go together. We'll get to that now. Perfume and women kind of go together. So the first, one of the first perfume makers that we know of is her name is called Taputi. Taputi, she's from Mesopotamia, and her name is written on a clay tablet. It says that she used um, flower petals and spices to make perfumes for the elite. And uh, 
in Victorian times, this I love, Riolette and I are massive like Downton Abbey fans. Any like Downton Abbey fans? You can admit it even if you're a guy. <laughs> it's fine. Yes. yes. <laughs> love, oh, Carson. Uh, in Victorian times, you were, a lady would, would uh, pick a saint. You, you know this idea of a signature saint, that you have like a signature saint? So this comes from Victorian times. You would pick a saint. So we'll have a perfumer make a certain scent for you, but they would be very simple. It would be just like a rose or lily or, you know, something like that. And you would pick one that suits your personality. So if you think you are like a rose, you would wear a rose, and they would wear the scent their entire lives. Like, so you would smell this person always with the same kind of scent. So many of us, I'm sure, like, uh, I think my mom used to wear, what is that one? Poem. I remember that. She used to wear that one always. And uh, so we all have memories of our mothers or grandmothers with this kind of specific scent. And I love this idea of, of people wearing a scent or a signature scent because you c it announces people's arrival into a room. You can almost like, so when I was writing the book, it was the strangest thing. Because I, was so I think because you're so sm focused on scent all the time, my sense of smell actually went really kind of crazy and got very fine and I would walk in a mall and you could smell like every I could smell like every single person and all their like different scents. It was weird. I was like telling really this is weird. It's like that movie. What's it? Um Story of a Murderer? What's it called? Perfume. No, perfume. Story of a murderer. Do you see that? It's intense. It's like a hectic movie. It was really good. And uh you could like smell all these people. That's what's beautiful about it. Like it's such a subtle thing. Well some you know, some people are less subtle than others, but some people are like dousing themselves in. So when you can smell yourself, the perfume, that's too much. <laughs> like, that's the rule. <laughs> it's too much if you can smell yourself. So um, women, and, uh, women and perfume tend to kind of go together. And uh, we have a story in scripture, obviously, where um, there's a woman with perfume. And what's fascinating about this story, it's, it's one of the few stories that exists in one way or the other in every single gospel. So if you skip one slide on, like it's in Mark 14, Luke 7, Matthew 26, and John 12. So the stories differ if you read them side by side. And the times when they happened tend to differ. Some one writer will place it a week before Jesus' uh, crucifixion, and other writers will place it the evening before or two days before. And in every single story, there's a woman, and there's perfume, and there's a, a protest. There's always somebody going, wait, but this is not allowed. And, but it's always a woman, perfume, and protest. So we don't know if it's all the same story. It might be two different scenes. But it's significant that it happens in every single gospel because very few stories are recorded in every single gospel. So it's obviously super important. So we're going to read it. I'm going to read the one in, I think, Mark. So you can turn there if you want. And we'll just walk through it. Kind of... Mark 14. So this one has got a, it places her, I think the one in John places it in the house of a Pharisee. And this one places it in um, the house of Simon the leper. So now, there is also a Simon the Pharisee. So we don't know if it's the same person. Like, so it might be the same person. But at this time, we know from this Mark account, we know that it's, si it's uh, obviously Simon and he's a leper. So he might or might not be the Pharisee. 
So uh, Mark 14 from verse 1, it says, It was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. So here's a trick with reading scripture. Just like we tend to um, read things very scientifically because we're all like a Western mindset and we read things very scientifically and we want to try and extrapolate the meaning and we forget actually just to look for the story. So when I read stories to my kids or I read Bible stories to them, I really kind of animate them because I just re- realized one day that it's, this is the first time they're hearing them, right? Because we've s- heard the story of the, the boy, the man born blind and receiving his sight in John 9 like a million times. Like, so it, it doesn't really fascinate anymore. So when I read it to my daughter the other day, I went, and then Jesus spat into the ground and he took the clay and he put it on his eyes. You know what happened then? She's like, no, I have no idea. And I went, and then he could see. And she's like, oh, my word, that's amazing. <laughs> I go, yes, that is amazing. Like, we said, what does that mean? We go, you can see. That's what that means. It's amazing. It's like a beautiful story. So, and a trick with reading it is trying to get that child's mind again. So Rialette actually went and bought a children's Bible for herself again so she can just recapture the stories again and get the stories so when you read you have to like imagine the scene stop looking for the meaning and just read the story so imagine the scene you can see so it says it was two days before passover so that like already places it within the context two days before jesus's crucifixion right so there's like a tension in the air there's something that's about to happen and it's and the festival of unleavened bread the leading priests and the teachers of the law we're still looking for opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. So it's like, dun, dun, dun. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, for the people may riot. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at, at the house of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. So in the John account, it says that she came in and she anointed his feet. And then she dried her feet. She wept and cried and kissed his feet and dried his feet with her hair. Okay? So (coughs) some of those of the table were indignant. Why a waste of such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, whether the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. So here is a command of Jesus, kind of hidden in the text, that, uh, where's that little bottle of perfume? Just just like, put the little lid on. Thank you, dear. Um, So here's like a command of Jesus that's hidden. How many of you have told the story of this woman? When you talk about Jesus with your friends or two people that don't believe or whatever, like, have you ever went, let me tell you a story. There was a woman... And Jesus says that we have to. We have to tell the story of this woman. And um, so there's a couple of things in the, that's happening in this text that's really interesting. So perfume, when you make perfume, it has three notes, right? 
And so it has like the open, almost like the opening note, a mid note, and a bass note. And the opening note or the high note is the one that sells the perfume. So what do you smell when I was passing around that Tuscan leather? That was like the, the high note or the opening note, the beginning. Because that's the one that sells the perfume. It's the one that when you're in, when you're in Sutterford spraying it on, that first thing that you smell, that's what, that's what the high note is or the first note, right? So it's really important. And it only lasts for a little while, a couple of minutes, like 10 or 15 minutes, and then it's gone. And it's enough time for you to buy it, <laughs> actually. So it's a really like super nice one. It's normally very friendly. It's not, um, it, um, it just opens and like sets the scene. So in this, in this story, like I found, I think there's almost like, also like three kind of things happening and like three levels of stuff. So the first kind of note when in some of the accounts it says, and the saints filled the room. And the initial reaction to everybody in the room was like, was like shock or they were indignant in the Mark account. It says they were indignant and they said, what a waste of this expensive perfume. It could have been sold for a year's wages. Now a year's wages um, back in the day or back in Jesus' day was a, a, a denarii, was a coin, like a Roman coin. And you would get one denarii for one, e one day's wages, meaning hard labor kind of wages. So if you do the math and you go, wh what does a laborer get paid today for like a day's wages? Like 150 bucks, maybe. What, like, well, what do you pay a guard now? So, like 150 rand, 200 rand, maybe. Let's say 200, right? Be generous. 200 rand. So, times that in a year. How much would that be? Like about 50, 60 k's. Five, 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 <coughs> five days a week. 300 days. It's like 300 odd days. So it's like 50,000 rand or something. 60,000 rand. Yeah, so imagine, 41,000 rand. So here's a bottle of perfume, 41,000 rand. It's a little bit more than Tom Ford's. Just about, a little bit more, yeah. A little bit more. 41,000 rand. I, I think I've got a picture. See the next one of the bottle? Yeah, there you go. There's an the alabaster jar. Um, so you had to break it. The way that it was made, like the perfume was sealed completely in it. So you had to literally break open the thing to pour it out which is also significant a little bit later. So um, that's the first note. There's the shock at this waste of perfume, where this woman is completely pouring out everything that she has. So this might have been, it might have been a couple of things. It might have been her family's, like, nest egg, something to be sold in times of struggle or in times of hardship. It was something that was kept for the family so that when, you know, times are tough, you could sell it and then have something. Or... Some of the accounts say that she, she wiped Jesus' feet with her hair, which means that she could have been a woman of the street. Because that was the way women with loose hair, were everybody with loose hair here today? Women with loose hair were also loose women. <laughs> <laughs> right? That was like kind of their ad. They, uh, so when they were walking the streets, you would know everybody with uncovered hair and loose hair was available for a fee. So it's interesting that she wipes his feet with her hair, which is also like her method of advertising, maybe. And then her perfume, if you are a lady of the night, I think perfume might be an important part of your toolkit. Which is interesting, then again, that she uses this to anoint Jesus. So the first note, as I said, is this kind of the shock, where it goes, 
about who Jesus actually is and what, he, and what he is doing, saying that this woman is pouring out her worship and everything onto him, and the crowd and everybody around him doesn't understand. The second kind of layer to the story, now the mid-note is a note that's normally designed in a perfume to hide the last one, the bass note. The bass note is one that like, lasts the longest, but it's also one that's most difficult to smell. Like, it's something that's hard to smell. If you smell it first, you will never buy it. But it's the one that actually lasts and make it, it makes it beautiful and gives it depth. But the mid-note is one that comes out like after about 20 minutes or so in order to lead you to the rest. So and the mid-note in this story is this, I think, is this fact that, Jesus, that this woman is, first of all, a woman that's entering man's company or men's company, which was not done in first century times. Women were not allowed to enter man's com- men's company when they were having dinner. So in the John account, it says that she approached Jesus from behind and she anointed his feet. So now you would lay at a first century table, you would be lying down, not sitting at a table, lying down on your left side with your feet facing away from the table. For the, uh, for the simple reason, feet were smelly, right? So you would have them away from the table. And uh, that's why people, you know, the feet washing scene makes so much sense. You would have somebody wash the feet of the people coming in because you're walking outside in the dust and uh, it's not like Jerusalem had really good um, sewerage systems so everything else would be like flowing around the streets and whatever. So feet were nasty, so feet away from the table. And uh, so she would come in and then she touched Jesus, so, which is a massive thing. Like Women were not allowed to touch anybody other than their husband, and maybe not even that. right? So women were completely second-rank ra- second citizens. They would, I've said this often, but she would, women would, um, the, some of the rabbis would say that you were allowed to divorce your wife if she uh, burnt your food, or if you just found somebody prettier, you were allowed to write her a letter of divorce. And then uh, women were also, there's like ancient inventory lists, and wives are listed with the rest of the property. So you would go three donkeys, 12 jars of olive oil, two wives, (laughs) three camels. uh, There were property. You could also, um, not in Jewish culture so much, but in Mediterranean culture, you could sell your wife as a slave. You could also sell your children as slaves if you really needed to. So... You know, sometimes you still feel like you want to do that. Um, <coughs> so, one, Jesus allows this woman to touch him. And she has a reputation. So in the other account, it says, does he not know, in John, does he not know who this woman is? That she has a reputation, right? So this is a woman of the street, maybe. Or she's some kind of adulteress. Or something, some, like, backstory to this. So he allows her in men's company, allows her to touch him and kiss his feet, which is like this super intimate scene. So Jesus just turns everything upside down, and he breaks all the social norms and all the rules again. And to crown it all, in the Mark account, he's in the house of a leper. Now he's in the house of a leper with a prostitute touching him. They're going, this is not, no, no Pharisee, no wonder they want to kill him. Because now he's saying, well, all their sins are forgiven. Right? In the John account, he says, all her sins are forgiven. Right? And she loves me so much because she's been forgiven so much. So the mid-note is, this, is, this, is exactly who Jesus is, that he, that he loves the sinner, that he spends time with the unclean, that his, his holiness functions differently. Because anointing, like if somebody's anointed, it means they are anointed for a specific task, 
to do something. So you're anointed to be king, anointed to be priest. And this woman anoints him, and which means that he is holy and set apart. Now, holiness throughout, throughout Scripture in the Old Testament, like holiness is something that you can't touch. Like if you would touch the Ark of the Covenant, remember the story, they're carrying the Ark out of Egypt, and then the poor guy slips, right? And the Ark kind of goes to the side, and the poor soldier that's walking beside it puts out his hand to steady the Ark, and he dies because he touches holiness. So whenever, whenever God comes down onto, you know, onto the mountain, Sinai, the whole thing shakes, and it says you have to put a barrier around it because anybody that gets close to God's holiness will die. That's going to rule. They used to, the, uh, the high priest would go on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Uh, the, uh, the Day of Atonement. Now, I'm not sure if that's Yom Kippur. Just scratch that. Anyway, on the Day of Atonement, what's the Jewish name for it? That is Yom Kippur, eh? I'm getting the New Year one confused with the... Anyway, so um, Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the holy place, holy, holy of holies, to sprinkle blood on the altar. Right? So what they did is that they would tie a rope to the high priest's foot in case he dies inside because he is going into God's holiness. And if he is not pure and all his sin is not forgiven and he hasn't done all the right sacrifices and confessed everything properly, he will die and then they have to pull him out. Right? Because you can't go in after him because you will die too because you're going into God's holiness. Now, what's interesting, in the time of Jesus, now, I don't know if this is true or how it actually worked, but it's just an interesting side note. There used to be a new high priest every single year in the time of Jesus. Yeah, so I was like, hmm, because you, every, every single year, like, that's the day you die. It's the day you have to go and do the atonement. So I don't know if that's true. Maybe there's a different political system or something. It's just an interesting, like, little side note that, uh, you know, you have to pull the high priest out of the Holy of Holies. So that... That's what holiness is, right, throughout Scripture. But with Jesus, it doesn't work like that. What happens when people touch Jesus, right? When the woman with the flowing of blood touches Jesus' hem of his garment, what happens to her? She doesn't die. She gets healed, right? When this woman touches Jesus' feet, what happens to her? She doesn't die. She's forgiven. So Jesus flips this whole story around. Go that instead of you dying when you come close to holiness, you become clean. You become whole and holy yourself. So I think that's kind of part of the mid note and the second note. And the last note, the bass note, which is something that is it's a normally a scent that's difficult to smell, is that Jesus says, She has anointed me for my burial. Now, can you imagine if you were in this room, even if you were this woman, you don't know that you're doing this for, that wasn't your intent. Her intent probably was just to honor Jesus. And he says, she has anointed me for my burial. And you're like, what? excuse me? What? And it's interesting in the text that she breaks the alabaster jar and pours it out. And in the same way, Jesus' body will be broken the next day or the day after. And his blood poured out. You have this echo, or almost this, I don't know, prophecy happening, this breaking and pouring. And when Jesus breaks the bread, pours the wine the next day, breaking and pouring. 
And this base note, this idea that Jesus has to die, like Jesus knows why he is here, like why he came. This is his purpose and this is his destiny. And this woman forms a part of that story, whether she likes to or not. And this is the thing with, with the thing that we don't like about Jesus, that we don't like about Christianity, is this idea of breaking, breaking and pouring. Like that we also have to break and pour. Like she had to break and pour in order to get close to him. And we have to break and pour ourselves out in front of Jesus or onto his feet and onto his hair. So that we too can be forgiven, so that we too can touch holiness and become a part of it. Which is so awesome and beautiful. And Len actually, Len Sweet, shared this one day with us, and I've told it many times here, but I'll tell it again. It's why he thinks and why I agree that this story is important. If you think about it, if you think about the narrative again, you imagine it. So now this woman in the Mark account, she pours it on his hair and it runs down into his clothes in the John account onto his feet. But if we take this story, that oil or that scent, it's obviously a very powerful scent, it filled the room immediately, would stick to his body, right? So now this, in this account, it was the day before Passover, so maybe one night or two nights before, two nights before, according to this, before he was crucified. So now if you get, what are the chances that Jesus had a really good shower between this night and the day that he was crucified? Like, not much. The next day was the Passover, the meal and everything, and then the day after he was crucified. So the chances that he was like clean in between this scene and the scene of the crucifixion is like slim to none. So now, if you have all this dry perfume on your body, and somebody, you know, if they, um, if they beat you and crucify you, your body will go into shock, right? What happens when your body goes into shock? You, one of the things that happen, you sweat, right? What happens to perfume when you sweat? It activates. That's the purpose of perfume, right? It activates. So now, what is the most powerful memory trigger? Smell. Who did Jesus think of every time his body started sweating? This woman. Who did Jesus die for on the cross? this woman or who kept him there this woman that poured out everything she had onto him her whole family's treasure that gave all her worship when Jesus was on the cross who was on his mind this woman and this is a secret in the universe or in creation that universal is always accessed through the particular Right? The universal is always accessed through the particular. It is because of her that all of us are saved. When somebody goes and they fight for their country, right? Who do they fight for? Nameless masses? Go, no, you fight for your kids or your spouse or your right? When when all of us, when we work really, really hard, if you're married and you've got kids, you work really, really super hard. Who do you work for? You work for your kids, for your wife. And because you work for them, because you fight for them, you save the whole country. But you're not fighting for the whole country, you're fighting for them. And this is the way it always works. It's always, uh, the universal is always access to the particular. And when we, when we founded third, third Place like 10 years ago, 
there was a there was like two people in our minds actually there was a guy who's a sculptor and suffers from very 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 severe obsessive compulsive disorder and we always thought what would church look like for for somebody like him or for him and then we started designing and building this so there's always like one person and this is what Jesus does this is I think what ha- what you know what happened in this story and this is why this woman is so important and to go to go back to it is when we point to Jesus we point to Jesus's holiness to say that when you go close to him when he is broken and poured out his holiness his saint rubs off on you when you break and pour yourself out in front of him you become holy too and what's so amazing and so beautiful about Jesus is that sinners are always really comfortable with him that Jesus doesn't he doesn't ridicule and he doesn't embarrass and he doesn't humiliate when somebody comes and says I am screwed up I am messed up he has everything that I have and Jesus always accepts that offer there's that song that goes I give you my life because it's all I have to give and it's so ironic because it's so little like we come to Jesus with this little broken jar and we go I've got this Right? And Jesus takes it. Isn't that, so, that's like for me, the most amazing thing about Jesus? Is that it doesn't matter what happened in your life, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you come from, what you've done, when you go to him, he will not ridicule and humiliate you. Or any of us, or me. He will always accept whatever it is that you have and that you want to give. A broken heart God loves a person with a broken heart. It doesn't mean a broken heart like your, you know, your lover or your spouse or somebody left you. It means a broken heart, broken with confession, broken with repentance. That you know that you really, 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 really need Jesus. And that's what he loves. And then is when that saint rubs off on you. That this holiness that's broken from his broken body is poured out on you that you can smell like him that is pretty incredible let's pray together thank you Lord Jesus that you have broken yourself and poured out yourself for us may we do the same and uh, bring our broken hearts to you and pour ourselves out to you thank you that you always accept us thank you that your grace so absolutely massive we will never fathom it thank you that you love us and that you guide us and I just want to pray that um, if anybody wants to break and pour that they will thank you that you are always with us thank you that your holiness rubs off on us may we be a beautiful and pleasing aroma to you and to the world. Pray this always. Amen. Thank you, guys. Does anybody have any comments, comments, questions?